Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant, Holy Land's recruiting-centric podcast, The Dotted Line. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to Ohio State and national recruiting experts, LGHL's own recruiting analysts, and even recruits themselves. On today's episode, I am joined by former Ohio State beat writer turned national recruiting columnist for The Athletic and the co-host for The Athletic's OSU podcast 4-6 to with A&B, Ari Wasserman. One of the absolute best at what he does, Ari puts Ohio State's recent recruiting success into a national perspective, gives his insight into why Larry Johnson is so good at what he does, breaks down what he saw from Quinn Ewers at the Elite 11 camp earlier this month, and much, much more. If you don't already subscribe to The Athletic or listen to 4 to 6 with A&B, you absolutely should. They are must-haves heading into the season for any Ohio State and college football fans. I never miss an episode of 4 to 6 with A&B, and if we exclude anything in this podcast feed, they are by far my absolute favorite OSU podcast. Anyway, with all of that now out of the way, here's my conversation with Ari Wasserman. Well, Ari, we are coming off of a week where Ohio State had a ton of success, starting with the JT Tuimaloau commitment, going through with Kojo Antwi and George uh, Fitzpatrick. And a lot of the conversation, especially earlier in the week, was about how well Larry Johnson and uh, Brian Hartline are recruiting. As somebody who obviously intimately knows Ohio State recruiting, but also professionally for the athletic, looks at things on the national scale. Are Ohio State fans, which they often do, overreacting about how good Johnson and Hartline are at their jobs, or, or are they really standout recruiters amongst the rest of the country? I mean, I, I don't know how you can overreact, because the, the <laughs> proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, I don't know uh, if these are the two things that had to happen for you to realize that. You know, uh, it's been happening for years. Now, what Brian Hartline's been able to do specifically in the past, you know, three or four years since he's at the job is pretty insane. And like I look at, at some of the, the commitments that they get, and it's just like, how do they even have room for these guys? Like yeah. I don't even know where they go, you know. And obviously, there's there's going to be some players leaving for the NFL after this year, and you know, players trickle out through transfers and stuff. But the amount of top 100, play, I think the stats, and I don't know this off the top of my head, so if it's wrong, it's it's at least close to being right. Yeah. Um, I think Ohio State has signed more top 100 players since Brian Hartline's arrival uh, at receiver than the rest of the conference has combined in every other position. So like that, like is a telling thing, not just for, you know, the depth that Ohio state has in its receiver room, but also the talent advantage that Ohio state has over the rest of the conference. And, and Larry Johnson has been doing this since his Penn state days. So um, I think the good thing for Ohio state uh, in this specific instance is that, uh, JT Tuimalau is, is a national 
top five defensive linemen from the West Coast. You know, Ohio State's been getting a lot of top ten talents uh, from the Midwest and specifically in Ohio. But to go out and get him from Washington is just during a pandemic, during a time where, you know, he delayed his decision for six months, wanted to take visits. I mean, that was a, a very long recruiting haul there that ended up in their favor. So I don't think you can overstate it with the amount of talent that they're coming, that they're bringing in. It's just, it's all there on the numbers, man. Yeah. And one of the things that we hear so often, and I think this is true of a lot of different schools, this probably isn't unique to Ohio State, but specifically when you talk about Larry Johnson is, and we heard this with JTT, is that when they commit to play for Larry, they talk about it being about more than football. They talk about it being about family. Is there something unique about how Larry specifically presents not only Ohio State as a whole, but his uh, position group um, that is different from how a lot of the other coaches that are also recruiting these top players do as well? Yeah, I don't know if Larry's going to love to hear this, but you know he's pushing 70 years old and there's a certain fatherly figure-ish type <laughs> you know, aura there is to him. You know, and you know, he's he's made first round draft picks pretty regularly throughout his career, but you know, people that have gotten to know him like I did over the, you know, ten years that I was covering Ohio State, you know, feel very comfortable talking to him. He's certainly a, an open book when it comes to knowledge and, and how to develop these players and, you know, just the intricate things that you need to know to develop these these linemen. But there's also something just warm about him, you know, and that's something that you can't teach. And everything that you um, have to do or excel at at the recruiting stage of things is making people feel like it's family, making people feel like you want them for things other than just their talents, even though that's all recruiting really is, right? Uh, you know, make them feel like they're joining a family, that you're going to be there for them and, and guide them and develop them and do all the things that you need to do. And, you know, if I were a parent and I had a kid that was going through the recruiting process and Larry Johnson came over, you know, you, having dinner with him would be like having dinner with a family member. And, you know, that's what the best recruiters in the country do. And, you know, not just having the, the, the stats and the draft picks and the experience on his resume to back everything up, but it's probably just a feeling that he's able to convey to these families of just, hey, if you come to Ohio State, I've got your kid. He's, I'm going to treat him like he's mine. And we're going to get him to where he wants to go. And, and he's done that over and over and over again. And, you know, being a very good recruiter is all about that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, talking about highly rated Ohio State uh, commitments and recruits, uh, I guess last weekend as we're recording over this weekend, um, the previous weekend you were out in Southern, Cal Southern California at the Elite 11 camp and the opening finals. And you talked a lot both on four to six with A and B. And then you wrote about on The Athletic this weird stat of how Quinn Ewers was amongst the highest rated players of all time, a handful of people who had this perfect rating. And you went into the camp, you said, uh, wanting to see how he lived up to that. And we've all read about the ups and downs of his, of his camp. But overall, I wondered, what were your takeaways? Did he exceed your expectations? Did he meet your expectations? How did Quinn Ewers look when you finally got to see him in person after hearing so much stuff about him and watching him on film and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so like recruiting a lot of times, I, I think people feel like it's just the numbers, right? You, you look at the, the fact that he is what one of 10 people to achieve this rating and the first quarterback to achieve this rating since Vince Young. And you think to yourself, holy crap, this guy must be the best quarterback recruit in the history of humanity. You know, like how do yeah. you put that in perspective? And 
even though recruiting seems to be very straightforward because it's rankings and numbers, there's a lot of context that needs to be applied to this. And and somebody like me who spends, you know, 50, 60 hours a week thinking about this sort of thing, I didn't really grasp it before I got there. And it, I, I went to California thinking, I'm going to watch this guy throw a football around a camp and I'm going to find out why he has the 1.000 rating when Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and all the great quarterbacks that came before him uh, between the time uh, between now and when Vince Young was playing, like well, they weren't able to achieve that. And really what this is all about isn't be, isn't what it seems. People think that Quinn Ewers was rated a 1.000 prospect because he does something differently than all these other quarterbacks do. And what really is the reason is because unlike the 2018 class when Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were in the same class, there there's a complete agreement that he's just the best one in this class. So when you have the the multiple recruiting services agreeing on who the number one player is, that's how this rating comes. So that's not to take away from how good he is, but there needs to be an understanding of why he achieved it and why he achieved it is more about who else is in the class than it is about his specific skill set. So when you ask why or like how did it match up to my expectations, well, when I got on the airplane and before I really started to think about how this was this was going down, my expectation was that I was going to go watch Dan Marino play, you know, or I was going to go <laughs> see uh, Trevor Lawrence and. You know, he's a very, very good prospect. He throws the ball 60 yards with a flick of a wrist. He is certainly a high-end five-star prospect who's very, very good. Um, but I think that the best thing about him is his ability to improvise and make plays on plays break down. And in that camp setting, I don't think he was able to illustrate that talent. So I thought he was a very good player. I thought it was, it's clear that he could be a first-round draft pick and win a national championship at Ohio State. And I think all the things that you you imply with a five-star rating are true with Quinn. Um, what I came to find out, though, is that the gap between Quinn and other five-star prospects, whether it be people like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields in previous classes or even a prospect like Cade, Cade Klubnick this year, who you know is a high-end four-star, might be a five-star who's going to Clemson. Like The gap between these guys is so razor thin that it's kind of hard to just anoint all of them. And, and the truth is, is that they're all probably going to be really, really good. You know, if, yeah. if in three years, Quinn Ewers and, and Kate Klubnick or any of the other guys that were on that field playing a college football playoff semifinal, that's kind of the expectation. Um, but you can't, it's just the same thing with the NFL draft. That's why there's five quarterbacks in the first round this year. And nobody knew what order they were going to come off the board until the night of the draft, because there's not a lot of, uh, of distinction between these guys. And I think that Quinn Ewers, was certainly one of the best players on the field and certainly one of the most complete quarterback prospects of, of our recent memory. But I don't know that he should be built up as this larger than life 1.00 rating that Im- implies that he is going to take the job from Kyle McCord or, or anybody else on the roster when he has a lot to prove himself still. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always fascinated with how these recruits get these rankings, whether it's, you know, from from film or from being at these camps and especially coming off of the year when there were no camps there for in a lot of cases, there was very little film uh, itself. Have you heard from, you know, coaches or recruits or high school coaches about how things are different this year coming out of the pandemic in terms of recruiting, whether that's from the rating standpoint or from the 
um, the college's standpoint that's different this year because of the COVID year off as opposed to what it has been in years past? Well, the biggest difference you you would probably think is that a large portion of the way that we evaluate these prospects is based on high school film. And even the Elite 11 finals where Quinn Ewers didn't win, half of that was based on film. And a lot of these guys either don't have complete films, some missed seasons, some you know, had games canceled. It was just a really weird year. So in order to get that film out there and, and be the basis of the way that we root rate these guys it just wasn't in the cards this year so you know i think that quarterback recruiting in general has evolved so much over the course of the past five or ten years and you know this is an ohio state podcast that we're on and people you know view troy smith as one of the best players that ever played at ohio state and it's just like the guy joined ohio state's class as a as a three-star barely rated athlete it wasn't even a quarterback that Ted Ginn senior had to beg Jim Trussell to take. And it's just like now in 2021, that would never happen because the elite 11s and the personal quarterback coaches that these guys have, the camps, the film, the the throwing coaches, all the things that we have from a, a resource standpoint to try to properly evaluate these players are so off the charts that these players are far more advanced than they ever were. And, you know, the reason why more freshmen are starting at the quarterback position is because the freshmen coming into college are better than they've ever been. Yeah. And, you know, the, it's just a, it's a huge business. Some of these these players, parents are dishing out $200,000 a year, you know, training their, their kid with a personal quarterback coach every day. And that stuff just wasn't really happening in the past. So, um, you know, the pandemic year was kind of a weird year, but a lot of times you still had these prospects working out with these individual coaches and, you know, working on their release and their footwork and all the things that usually a prospect would have to wait to college to do, they're doing when they're in seventh grade now. So um, it's just a completely different game. And, and these quarterbacks are just so good and polished. And, you know, that's what makes it so hard to, going back to the last question, to make a distinction between Quinn Ewers and a guy like Kyle McCourt, who everybody in Buckeye, Buckeye land has forgotten about for some reason as if he wasn't a five-star quarterback like nine months ago. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that Quinn isn't going to go be a star there. I mean, that's the expectation for sure, but that was the expectation from a quarter year ago. And, and both of these guys are polished, very good quarterbacks, and, and Quinn plays in, in Dallas, Texas, and South Lake, in one of the most competitive high school you know, football environments in the country. And these guys have played uh, in, in higher levels than some you know, lower-tier college levels. You know, it's, it's insane how advanced they are. Before I move on to some national and Big Ten stuff, to, to wrap up the Ohio Ohio State part of the conversation, um, they are they like I said they've had a number of commitments over the last few weeks, and they are in on a lot of big big guys who seem to be working their way, if not towards a commitment, at least to narrowing down their finalists to just a few um, from the bigger names that Ohio State is pursuing: the Omari Abors and uh, Eni Whites and Zion Branch, who just released uh, his set of finalists over the week. Um, who are the guys, not necessarily that Ohio State should be looking for in terms of commitment watch, but who are the guys that you think fit Ohio State's, not only what they're looking for in terms of scheme, but this class specifically that Buckeye fans should get to know and follow on their way to a commitment? Well, the one, and I don't know about on the way to a commitment, it's really, really hard to, you know, kind of 
put yourself in a position where you're saying, hey, uh, this guy's coming next week and, and that's going to happen. Yeah. But the one prospect that I would be watching out for, or you know, at least following closely, is uh, Zach Rice out of Lynchburg, Virginia, the offensive mm-hmm. tackle. Um, for whatever reason, and I spoke about this with Bill Landis on our podcast last week, Ohio State's been stacking in years. You began the interview with the receiver position and, and the defensive line position. They've been stacking talent at quarterback um, like in, at an insane rate, but for whatever reason, um, they haven't been able to go out and get the premier top five overall player offensive lineman. You know, and they've gone, and I don't mean that across the board because obviously they got sure. Paris Johnson and guys like that out of Ohio, but I'm talking about the national top five prospect that is being recruited by all the big dogs, you know, and you would think that Ohio State, for, for all that they have to offer and, and the position that they've been playing, that they would be stacking that type of talent at all the positions. And for whatever reason, offensive line, despite the fact that they have one of the best ones in the country this year, they haven't really been able to pull that type of prospect. So when you look at Rice and, and his you know flirtation with Alabama, Notre Dame, North Carolina, he's got a lot uh, of things going on in his recruitment right now, but it seems like Ohio State's in a pretty good spot. And he's the number five overall player in the country and the number one offensive tackle. And, like, they haven't gotten one like this since Nicholas Petit-Friere, and that was in the same class that they lost uh, Jackson Carmen. So, of all the prospects, if I had to put out an Ohio State big board of which ones would be the most important, I would say that Zach Rice certainly would be. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he would definitely be a nice addition. They've got two four-star offensive linemen in the class right now, but none of them are, or neither of them, Tegger Teshable or, or Fitzpatrick that I mentioned earlier, are super high four-stars, and uh, ha- adding Rice would be nice. But I did want to talk about some of the other Big Ten schools here real quick. Penn State went on a run in the last few weeks to where they are now the second-rated class in the 2022 cycle in the entire country. They don't have any five stars yet, but um, James Franklin is is starting to stack up some pretty good talent there. What have you seen from Penn State that has kind of made them uh, a player in in this cycle when they really haven't been at least at this level in years past? Yeah, well, I think part of the reason they're number two right now is because they have 18 commitments. Yes, I know that Ohio State has 17, BC has 22, Baylor has 19. But for the most part, Penn State has way more commitments than the rest of the people that they're going to be competing against in the top five. Um, so I think that sometimes, and again, it's just recruiting rankings or numbers, but they also need context. It's important to you know put aside rankings in July because those things change pretty rapidly as the number of commitments even out across the board in all mm-hmm. the classes. Um, you know, and and right now the average player ranking for Penn state in their class is 90.04. And now LSU has a better average player ranking. So does Oklahoma. Uh, So does Georgia. So does Texas. So does Alabama, uh, Texas A&M. I mean, there's a lot of teams right now that just have better average players and it's just the points don't add up because they don't have as many commitments. That's not to take away from Penn state's class. Um, You know, they've got 10, four star commitments. And I think the biggest thing that, they've done differently this year is they've done really well in Pennsylvania. Um, and mm. everybody in state college who's a big Nittany Lion fan has probably got a, a picture of me with uh, darts in, in my head <laughs> throwing up on me uh, from the way I've written about James Franklin last year. But last year, Penn State's class was completely off the mark. I think they only landed one top 10 player in their own state. And that top 10 player moved into the top 10 at the last rankings update. I think it was 0 for 10 until the end there. 
And this year, I think they've got like six or seven of the top 10 players in, in Pennsylvania committed, which is the huge thing. Like Penn State has no chance whatsoever to win the Big Ten if they can't keep their players home. And they've done that in the 2022 cycle. And they've also done a, a really good job of coming into Ohio and taking players that Ohio State doesn't have room for. I wrote a pretty big story about Drew Aller from the Elite 11, and he's a top 150 player nationally and would be an Ohio State commitment in any other year if Quinn Ewers didn't exist. And because Ohio State doesn't have room for him, he's going to Penn State. And Penn State's biggest issue has been having a not having a, a star quarterback. And, you know, they, they've come into uh, Ohio and gotten Caden Saunders, the top 120 player receiver, and Ohio State just doesn't have room for him. But we're talking about a national top 115 player. So they've done a pretty good job of taking what they can get out of Ohio in a year where Ohio State's particularly national. And they've also um, filled in the gaps with some other top-end talents like Nicholas Singleton, who committed last week, and you know some of the other guys at the top end of their class. So you know it's certainly the type of class that you want to see out of Penn State. But you know at the end of the day, when you're comparing it directly to Ohio State, it pales in comparison because you know as things stand right now. Penn State has one top 10 player nationally, and I think Ohio State has seven, right, or six. Um, and it's just like the talent gap between those two teams is huge. But as it pertains to the national picture, Penn State certainly has a top five, top 10 class competing against everybody else. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. As you are, you know, you've been looking at the national recruiting now for at least a year for the athletic um, coming into this cycle. Has there been anything that is there one story that has kind of uh, interested you the most, whether it was a surprise or a human interest type thing, whether that was with a certain classes recruiting or a certain recruit, something that um, fans of just college football in general, Buckeyes or not, um, should be you know looking out for or or looking into so they can kind of uh, see what's going on outside of just the uh, the Buckeye footprint. Yeah, well, the one thing I wanted to see uh, was the way that Greg Schiano was going to recruit at Rutgers. Yeah, and this is obviously a very familiar name to Ohio State fans, um, but watching how he did it there because New Jersey is a very you know deep talent pool and Rutgers has been a non-factor in that state for so long. And, you know, they got a top 100 quarterback out of Kentucky somehow, and they've got the number one player in New Jersey for the first time in a long time. And, you know, they have a 13th ranked overall class and, you know, to keep it in the big 10 footprint for the podcast purposes, I think it's been very fascinating to watch, you know, how Rutgers has gone from complete joke that shouldn't even be into the conference to, having the fourth best, you know, class so far in the big 10. And, you know, the thing that's interesting about the big 10 too, is I think that the top five, the top six classes um, in the 2022 cycle, as it stands right now, are all big 10 East teams, you know, and it's a geographical thing, you know, more than anything, but the big 10 East is far deeper and more balanced than the big 10 West. And if Rutgers is going to start signing top 25 classes now, you're just adding another program that could probably win the West or the East. And, you know, Greg Schiano, I think, was the only man in the world that could go there and do uh, what he did. And, you know, I'm very look, very much looking forward to seeing how this, this class wraps up and seeing whether he can pull Rutgers from being uh, the butt of every single Big Ten joke that exists to a team that might be able to compete with a Penn State or a Michigan or, you know, maybe even wait on the line Ohio State. So, you know, I'd, I'd watch out for that. I find that to be very interesting.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Lands, the Dotted Line podcast. Also, of course, thank you to the incredible Ari Wasserman. I will have a link to his articles on The Athletic and to his Twitter account, at Ari Wasserman, in the show notes and in the article version of this episode at LandGrantHolyLand.com. If you are finding this episode on the aforementioned website, please subscribe wherever you are getting your podcasts. We are cranking out episodes nearly every weekday, and they all have unique perspectives and voices that you just won't hear anywhere else in the Buckeye podcasting universe. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Bucks.